Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are doing our part two of Emma 2020. Yes. <laughs> and we're joined again by Josh Waller. Hey. <laughs> it seems like there's a big thunderstorm that's about to hit. So uh, if you hear rumbling, that's yeah. what it is. We also have a puppy who is needing an extra love so <laughs> <laughs> it's very much the uh emma of <laughs> of our She's group the emma of the household right now <laughs> oh. oh there you go <laughs> we're uh, really hoping the power doesn't go out okay so i wanted to start off this episode by just acknowledging hey look we're back where we started we're doing Emma again. Mm-hmm. That was the very first one we did. I just picked that Emma, that Gwyneth Paltrow one as our first one because I mm-hmm. thought that's about the most middle of the road Jane Austen adaptation there is. So like, yeah. I didn't want to do anything that was the best or the worst. And it's just so it's so interesting to be back here. We've done all six. We've at least you've had a taste of all six of her major novels. Yes. How do you feel about that? Um, it feels like. I don't know, like, uh, I never read these books in high school. I don't know why they weren't required reading. Uh-huh. Um, but There's I, just too many books out there. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I just, um, they feel like all, like, their base storylines are, like, you can, like, kind of see how much they've influenced a lot of, like, modern storytelling. And I just feel like every book is, like, a different genre almost. Like, Emma seems to be the comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice is, like, the, I would say the dramatic um, well, I almost think Sense and Sensibility is just as, it's kind of like a melodrama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Pride of Petrus is more of like a romance. Yeah. But it just feels like every book has its own setup that is like different, but you can kind of see like the similarities and because it's her writing. Yeah. And, um, I, I love, I love all these books, or these stories at least. Yeah. You only got through one book. But it was um, good. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It was really good. I'm excited to read the other books. I'm excited to read Emma since we this is our second yeah. Emma movie. Maybe that should be our next book that we read for Jane Austen. Yeah. But I'm excited to see how basically from Jane's old, her words directly, like what Emma was like yeah. and what all these other characters are supposed to be like. Yeah. Because it's really interesting. I feel like this one and the Gwyneth Paltrow one kind of put the emphasis in the same places. Like mm-hmm. they kind of took out the same extra bits and extra storylines. So I don't think that was like intentional or anything. I just think, you know, it's like the natural, depending on what you want to focus on, you only got two hours. If you want to do Knightley and Harriet and Emma, then you Mm -hmm. kind of got to get rid of all the other stuff. But on the special features for this one, there are a bunch of deleted scenes that are like an entire Jane Fairfax storyline. Yes. Must have gotten cut out the last minute because they're all scored and everything. So if you have, um, if you've bought it, I would definitely watch those because oh yeah, that's like a whole storyline. <laughs> yeah, I um after we watched those scenes, I thought to myself that the story of Emma would be such a good like uh, TV series, just to kind of see like these relationships kind of build over time yeah. more, and especially between <laughs> uh, between Emma and Jane Still because like David Lynch weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like don't forget about me. But just their relationship because they're so similar. Yeah, you, you know, pick I would up on that. Love to see an adaptation of Emma where they just almost cut out the nightly stuff and just focused mm-hmm. on Jane, Harriet, 
and Emma and, and like the yes. girlfriends mm, and yes. how those dynamics are. That would yeah. be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you still have to have Knightley, I suppose, but like you can treat him <laughs> like you treat Jane and this one. Like, yeah, he's just like a little extra. Well, I always think about it as those like the more modern these series that are like about like these girls in high school and how like the guys they like maybe like talk about or obsess over are kind of like not part of the main yeah storyline it's just something that you know oh it shows up in the episode yeah well you know clueless did have a tv show spinoff so I guess yeah. well in a certain way it could have been <laughs> like that i never saw that one i heard it but. was not the best but come here puppy um i just i want to see a sh- <laughs> gosh Mabel. <laughs> i want to see a show with these characters where we get to see some hijinks and <laughs> get to see especially with mrs elton Oh, yeah. Because I feel like... Oh, yeah. She'd be great addition yeah. to the girl club, too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she would, but her and Emma would constantly be at odds. And oh, I feel yeah. like Jane and Harriet would always be on Emma's side. And she, <laughs> they would just would not like Mrs. Elton that much. And... Yeah. Well, Jane and Emma and Mrs. Elton have a whole thing that this hasn't been in either of the adaptation we've watched. Like a, oh, like <laughs> friendship almost. Yeah, well, it's a partnership. It's a weird, like, there's a whole bunch that goes on that is just not in these adaptations because, uh-huh. but there's like a whole part with Mrs. Elton and she kind of tries to like adopt Jane because I think because she's annoyed with Emma for not being a, you know, nice, nice enough person. to her. And Jane is kind of resentful because, you know, Jane's got her own stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always picture them around the same age too. So I think they all are. Yeah. I would have been a little bit insulted and be like, I can handle myself. Like, yeah, leave I can me alone. get my own mail, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, should we go ahead and do notes then? Yeah. of notes all right well of course as with most of these jane austen adaptations they all did etiquette training and dialect coaching there was a period expert on set and the cast as usual really bonded during the rehearsals because of all of this training they had to do together mm-hmm. and the movie itself they really tried to stay period accurate with all of the like costuming and details which seems kind of crazy considering how like bright and Mm -hmm. fluffy it all looks but it is all actually accurate so mia goth and anya taylor joy had previously made a movie together and they were already best friends (laughs) what do you know what movie it was i can't remember wait who's the other actress mia goth oh who'd she play harriet oh (laughs) she she's been in a she was in suspiria the re the revamp that i watched that was really good was she in? Is that made by the same people who made The Witch that Anya Taylor-Joy was in? Suspiria? Yeah. I think so. No, that was... Um... You mean the director? I thought I was thinking of the production company. Oh. Oh, probably? Because, like, maybe it's A24. A24, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The... Yeah. Uh, which was good, but Mia Goth, she was also in that... Uh, it was a cure for wellness is what it was called. It was, like, a horror film, I've but it was, that. like, yeah. a... What's his face? I want to say Mrs. Owen from... The Gwyneth Paltrow one was in that, wasn't she? I, don't, I haven't seen no, it. I, I might, but... <laughs> my brain is not conflating all sorts of things together. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, Anya felt, thought that the scenes with her and Harriet were the most heartfelt. And I did too. Those me are the parts too. that made me cry. <laughs> um, 
she loved being able to bring the dislikable characteristics of Emma to the front. And she said, it's so much more rewarding to watch someone with flaws redeem themselves by the end. Plus, people really enjoy watching Emma behave badly. Yes. <laughs> um, Anya, oh no, Autumn DeWild ha- worked very closely with Anya and felt they fell in love at their first meeting. <laughs> <laughs> she actually worked really well with all the production departments because of her art background. So she like really paid attention to all the details. Um, she didn't want any faded colors because she says when you look back on period clothing it all looks faded but if you were to open the seams you would see that it's much brighter it's just faded over time right and uh so she really wanted to play up how vibrant the color actually was she said she might have pushed it a little bit farther than it actually was but thank god the richer you were the more vibrant your colors were and since it was so rich they had the most vibrant like you'll notice harriet's never wearing like a bright yellow or yeah yeah that's why i always thought because if you look at other period pieces maybe not from that far back but like uh like downton abbey for instance like all their stuff is it's very colorful it's never dreary or drabby even though the house is super old yeah it's just because you have more money like you would have been able to afford the more expensive colors yeah maybe not bright pink and green and yellow together but (laughs) (laughs) i know it's like a little easter egg house i love it (laughs) (laughs) it was very pretty so it was a very collaborative set because of the photography background. She noticed all the little details. She said that part of her desire in making the movie was to provide the audience with a couple hours of escape. <laughs> I was like, well, you couldn't come out at a better time. Right. Seriously. <laughs> we all need it. They were going for like a stylized period. And the haberdashery shop that they use for many scenes was an actual real period building that was just um, an empty town hall. so they thought it was perfect because they really wanted one that looked on the street so that you know everybody who walked by could see in and emma's house hartfield was actually from the time period it had like it was like a tutor but then it had this added on area um but that was the same time period where Mm -hmm. because they were all about renovations at the time so they basically just you know put up wallpaper and set decorated but used that house for all of her stuff hair and makeup took like two hours a day because they were talking about how just how much these people in real life would have had to go through and like Mm -hmm. they would have had to basically been in there and dressing for two hours in the morning to get their hair all perfect i just whenever i see like hairstyles like that where like when they take it down it's super long but then when you (laughs) see them what they're done up it's always like way above their shoulders it yeah. just the pinning oh my gosh all the, the tiny curls yeah the ringlets yeah. i could never have the patience for that <laughs> also one of mr woodhouse's coats required like two people to carry it so it's like oh was that heavy yeah but all the costumes were done by alexandra byrne she has done a lot of period movies, including the 1995 Persuasion, which we haven't done yet, but I think that was one of her oh. first movies. She did um, that Elizabeth, both of the Elizabeth movies. Oh. oh, wow. And she's also done a lot of Marvel movies, including Thor, The Avengers, Guardians, and Doctor Strange. Wow. Yeah. I love all those Marvel movies. Wow. <laughs> she said all the costumes are historically accurate and show the wealth and sophistication of the characters 
Harriet's style improves as the movie goes on, and she makes frequent use of colored undergarments so that the girls can wear white, which was common for the younger girls, but then at the still at the same time still have color underneath. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of Emma's costumes are replications of historical costumes. Her pink party gown comes from a dress that is on display at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You we can actually there, see. We? Yeah, we did. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can see um, if you look it up, like there's a lot of pictures of the historical gowns and then hers and like how huh. similar they are. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote down a quote from Autumn to Wild on what inspired her. And she said, this is also a love story of two friends, not just Emma and Knightley, but Emma and Harriet. I have a lot of heartbreak and romance in my heart for early best friends. The most hurt can be caused at that age when you don't realize that people are not disposable. I think a lot of girls have to learn that about their friends or they have to learn how not to be a doormat, which was the case for me. (laughs) (laughs) And then what I thought was really interesting is that by making Harriet such a powerful character that you sort of take for granted as kind of a dingbat in the beginning, you realize that there's a piece of all of us that are both Emma and Harriet. A lot of us think we're the victim, like Harriet. But if you really think about it, there have been times when you've been an Emma, and that's really important. Wow. Yeah. I like that. So I really like Autumn Dwell. I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, um, no kidding. This was such a great movie. And Definitely a good first film. It's she's so a photographer, yeah. so yeah. I have a special affinity. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one day we'll have movies again, and <laughs> and we'll see more yes. autumn movies. Let me be your intern. <laughs> 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 I'm probably way too old to be an intern. <laughs> I'm sure if you do it for free, she'll take it. <laughs> of the recap uh, okay so we just basically met frank is what mm. happened at the end of the last one so emma has deigned to accept an invitation to the coals <laughs> and knightley is teasing her about it and she says she must make every opportunity or take every opportunity to see frank <laughs> which of course is just what she knows will get him riled up so they're rallying each other up <laughs> <laughs> Knightley says that he is a trifling, silly fop for getting a haircut in London. <laughs> actually, they come face to face in this scene and they are both really awkward and seem to have absolutely nothing to say to each other. <laughs> and there's a little scene where um, they're all, all the ladies of the town who we've never met before are gossiping and they're gossiping about Jane Fairfax who received a mysterious gift of a piano. Pianoforte. Pianoforte. Does that... Like, that size? I think it is a smaller... Yeah. yeah. My piano is missing an octave on either end, so... <laughs> it's... A, I have a piano for it. <laughs> it's a wooden ivory and ebony uh, key- keyboard. <laughs> Casio keyboard. <sighs> oh, yeah. She got the piano. Emma actually comes really close to figuring it out, it seems like. Like, who sent her the piano. But if she... If only she wasn't so predisposed to dislike Jane. I think she would have figured it out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mrs. Weston is suspecting that Knightley sent Jane the piano. And then we see Knightley playing the violin as he accompanies Jane for 
A duet. <laughs> Ominous. The duet. Oh. <laughs> and Jane sings, and she's not like opera singer like some Jane Fairfax. She seems to have a, a decent voice, but not like anything special. Not like her <laughs> piano playing is no, really She sucked. How terrible. <laughs> I just, you know, sometimes she's like, whoa, this girl isn't even believable. Say it's she's the, so uh, great. <laughs> yeah, the, op- the opposing sides were... Emma is just like the soft, pretty voice, and then Jane gets up and she's like, <laughs> yeah. opera legend. Yeah, I think in the Gwyneth Paltrow, Jane sang really well. Yeah, she yeah. sang like I, I remember like watching. I was like, has she done musical theater? Because she uh, sounds, she could belt. Was like, it Beyonce? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was British Beyonce. Um. <laughs> okay, so Emma is contemplative during the duet because she's thinking about this all this new information she's getting is did he give her the piano so then we go to church and the new mrs elton is already (laughs) seated in the front row where the woodhouses usually sit (laughs) that's a great bit of like physical humor that happens (laughs) everyone is like wait what everyone must shift accordingly (laughs) and go one row back and Emma's hat is really dull in the scene. <laughs> and it's, she's very unhappy. I'm like, I think I've seen that hat on Drag Race before. Yeah. For sure. I think they call it a fascinator. <laughs> it's like a tiny top hat with a huge feather. So the Eltons come to tea at Emma's house. And Augusta Elton thinks that uh, Emma's house is just like her brother's house at Maple Grove. <laughs> She's like smacking her husband's hand when he's trying to get food. And she is definitely putting herself as a married woman over Emma. And she calls Mr. Knightley, Knightley. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Rude. The nerve. She's just so, I like this. Miss, Miss yeah. She's pretty funny. <laughs> She's so funny. Like that actress, because she does little, I remember in like the dance scene, she does this little like sly move as she's moving past Shoulder somebody. Spiegel. And I was like, that's such a modern kind of move to make, but it was so good. Yeah. Um, Emma is complaining about her to Harriet. <laughs> and they come across Mr. Weston who says, Oh, Frank's family is moving closer unexpectedly. So now he can come visit more often mm-hmm. and they can all have their dance. And then my favorite scene, I'll go ahead and reveal now, <laughs> is Emma and Harriet practicing their dancing with their hair all Aww. rolled up in rags. And whenever they hug in this movie, I cry. <laughs> Don't know if it's just a quarantine thing, but yeah. <laughs> it's just like such a sweet, almost sisterly bond because it know. reminds me a lot of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. With Lizzie and Jane. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's such a sweet scene. It's like, oh, they're really friends. You know, it might not have start. You know, we saw them start, but now they're like really fast friends. And it's such a sweet. So we go to the ball and there's all these weird stacks of food that involve asparagus <laughs> and whole onions. <laughs> it looks amazing. <laughs> the food were all like whoever created those. They were all pieces of art themselves. Yes. There's one scene where they're bringing these giant cakes. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, God. Like, you just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just whip up some cakes for the people that stop by. (laughs) Seven to your only, please. The drunk Austin girls got to like go to the premiere and recently they sent them this box of 
treats or Ooh. some sort of promotional <laughs> thing and they were showing pictures of them online i was like those are the most adorable things i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> i remember in class we went over um because the that time period is really known for its like dramatic food because uh-huh. of all the parties and presentations. And I can't remember what his name was, but it was one guy who started it who was a French cook who came to England to, because of the revolution in France uh. and started this whole movement of having these like ridiculously tall, like stacks, like 10 feet tall, of, you know, <laughs> of di- different foods and whatever that were so unnecessary. Interesting. And then, of course, the reactionary movement right after it is like very simple, very plain, not <laughs> wasting a lot. Oh, my God. I always find it so crazy whenever I am reminded that like the American Revolution, the French Revolution, Jane Austen were all like in the mm. same-ish period. And it's mm-hmm. just always a little bit crazy to me. Okay. Sorry, I'm watching Hamilton yesterday. It just really made me think about that. <laughs> um, okay, we're talking about food. Um, mm-hmm. So, Miss Miss Bates is so thrilled with everything. And Mrs. Elton is being annoying about being over-trimmed. <laughs> as Jane is forced to listen to her. And her hair is all in these crazy bows. <laughs> they all have to do some finagling to get to let Mrs. Elton be the first one to dance, but still let Emma dance with Frank. Frank. <laughs> so, cause the, the newest bride always gets to open the dance. Apparently weird. Interesting. <laughs> An incentive to get married. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank and Emma dance and chat. There's so many like cross glances during this between like him and Jane. And there's like confusion going on, but then Mr. Elton sits next to Harriet, and as soon as he notices her, he promptly leaves. <laughs> Mrs. Weston stops him and tries to get him to dance with Harriet, who is obviously upset at this point, and he basically refuses. Brood. And then a heavenly choir starts singing as Mr. Knightley walks across <laughs> the room and saves Harriet from her misery. And Emma is so happy, and they all dance together, and they're all <laughs> giant smiles. And that's when uh, Mrs. Elton does her little shoulder wiggle. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. I think this was the scene where I noticed first that, because um, I was always looking at uh, Harriet, and I was like, why is her face so striking? Like, something looks so different about it. And then in this scene, because it was the way it was lit, I realized she doesn't have any eyebrows. This entire <laughs> movie, she is completely eyebrowless. Ah. Uh. My sister has very light eyebrows, and I know it's a cause of much concern for her. I didn't even notice, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's not a concern for me, at least. It was just like... No, 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 I know. Something, like, you know when you look at someone, you're like, something is just... Yeah, you just have, like, the most blonde yeah. little eyebrows. So, I guess they eat dinner, because there's this whole thing in the director's commentary where she's like, I had to, like, you know, justify the fact that they're dancing without gloves on in this scene, so... They had to eat dinner first, and they're still after dinner, so their gloves aren't on, and they're just randomly go to the dance floor. So anyway, I thought I'd add that as a little extra. But um, so they're standing in the doorway. Knightley comes up, and she thanks him for his kindness to Harriet. She says she was mistaken in Mr. Elton, and he says that she would have chosen better for him than he chose for himself. And he suddenly has a lot of compliments for Harriet, but it's time to dance again, and she wants to dance with him. <laughs> dancing without gloves <laughs> scandalous yeah because the touching of the hands is like the sexual tension you know 
So that's what happens when you live in a... <laughs> repressed society. Religiously <laughs> sexually oppressed society. But everyone else has gloves on, so it does make, like, it is kind of, like, a striking difference when... Because they're always mm-hmm. changing partners and stuff. Okay. So, so they're dancing. It, this is actually, like, a great dance scene. I feel like Emma, because... It's not so focused on the Emma Knightley love story, mm-hmm. you know. They, there's a lot. There's usually not a lot of like random sexual tension moments, and mm-hmm. this one was perfect. I love the way it comes on here, so that we can see Emma starting to make that realization a little bit earlier. Yeah, and we can really see how far Knightley is. But yeah, lots of sexual tension in that scene. I really like that one. <laughs> Me too. Actually, uh, I feel like the touching of hands is so overpowering to them. There's a point where they like forget to keep dancing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They lose themselves. Yeah. So then it's dawn. The party's ending. Knightley basically chases her carriage home. <laughs> and when Emma gets home, she kicks off her shoes and sits in the window like a little kid. Very cute. But she looks out and she sees that Knightley has run to her house and she runs out to meet him. And just when it seems like they're going to something, Frank comes in carrying Harry. (laughs) Screaming. (laughs) They put her on the couch and she's having some sort of real reaction to the intimacy of being carried by some men. (laughs) That was hilarious. (laughs) All her screaming and moaning. And she whispers to Emma that she thinks she's in love again. (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. Uh, And Emma thinks that she means Frank, of course. And so she asks him to stay, which upsets Knightley. And I think they both end up leaving anyway. And Emma's like, I think it could happen, but I don't want to get involved because last time was such a disaster. (laughs) But she, of course, doesn't really know the real truth. Mm -hmm. She's not not done a very good job of liking (laughs) what their intentions are. No, I have to think that when the Westons got together, they were already getting together and Emma just was like, hey, encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Once she noticed what was happening, she was like, oh, I should make this happen. It's like, it's already happened, honey. <laughs> <laughs> or also it's like, of course, Mrs. Weston has been with her for how many years? I'm sure at that point she was like, I think I fully understand her now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not after a couple months. Yeah. Okay, so Knightley goes back home. He kicks, I love this little scene. He kicks off all of his restrictive clothing and just lays on the floor. <laughs> I said, how many times have I wanted to do that the last few weeks? <laughs> Not that I'm all in starched up colors and stuff, but I just want to lay on the floor sometimes. <laughs> so I, I don't even know where we are, but Mrs. Elton is insisting that Jane not check her mail. She wants her man to get Jane's mail because Miss Sultan is such a busybody. <laughs> Jane is just quiet, but she seems irritated. Visibly annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Knightley says that he's he's going to... Actually, I think she asks if she can come visit his house. And he's like, sure. But I'm going to make the party because she's like, I want to invite people. He says, no, only the future Miss Knightley, Mrs. Knightley can invite people. And uh, Harriet's sitting over on the couch, just like. listening and smiling to herself. <laughs> and then we go to Donwell Abbey, and that's where we wrote, where's Catherine Morland? <laughs> <laughs> she would have loved this. Oh, I was, um, when we mentioned that last time, I was thinking about how kind of similar Mr. Knightley and Henry are. Mm-hmm. And the way that they are, like, having these, these uh, like, women that they're wanting, that they like a lot. <laughs> that they're kind of trying to teach them how to yeah. grow up in a sense. Yeah. A little bit different because 
Well, partially because Knightley, I guess, has really watched Emma grow up. Right. And I feel like Henry is definitely younger than Mr. Knightley. Like oh, 10 yeah, years yeah. younger than him. I guess like their intentions are the same. But similar. yeah, they, they are very similar in certain ways. He's got huge paintings at his house. Like so much art. And he offers to show Harriet around and basically leaves, leaves Emma alone when that's when Jane comes in and says, could you please make my the excuses for me? I'm leaving. <laughs> She's wearied in spirits. This is where all of that extra Jane stuff would have come in handy right. because like it explains a lot of this. <laughs> so after she leaves, Frank comes in. He's in a bad mood. He says he's tired of doing nothing. And Emma thinks he's sick of prosperity and indulgence. I love this whole part because he's like, I don't feel like I'm prosperous or indulged. And she just gives him a look like, who do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) And she asks, why not come with us to Box Hill tomorrow if you want a change of scenery so much? I bet she'll regret having asked him to come. (laughs) (laughs) So they go to Box Hill, the infamous picnic. (laughs) Everyone is sitting very quietly. Frank tries to liven things up by saying that Emma wants to know what everyone is thinking. (laughs) She's like, no, I really don't want to know what everyone is thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mrs. Elton is being really stuck up in this scene. Frank goes on and wants them all to provide something entertaining or like two things mildly entertaining or three things very dull indeed. And Miss Bates says, oh, she can provide three things very dull indeed as soon as she opens her mouth. And Uh. Emma always played for the most horrible thing in the world. Emma says, there's the difficulty. When did she ever stop at three? Uh, cuts ya. <laughs> nobody laughs. <laughs> and Miss Bates gets really upset, like practically on the verge of tears. How dare she? I know. She but really it's... sells the like disappointment in that moment. And like <laughs> just, uh, Yes, yes. It's she so really upsetting. sells it. So, so yeah. upsetting. I, I really love, well, you know, I don't love this part, but... Um, I, what I like about the scene is that it shows how self-aware Miss Bates is. Yeah. Like she knows that she talks too much and that she knows that sometimes she can be a little boring and, yeah. um, but she was like making fun of herself and, yeah. and then when Emma says that and then she gets upset and then she starts kind of like, well, I must, you know, I must have done something like I should, yeah. I must have been my stupid self again. And it just makes you feel even worse for yeah, her. It's true. I think because we live in a time in which it's so almost encouraged to like rib your friends Mm -hmm. that it almost feels like, Oh, you're making fun of yourself. I'm making fun of you, but it's not really appropriate for the time. No, especially if the other considerations. Also Miss Bates has a whole other storyline going on underneath this that we are not finding out about this in the book, which is definitely causing her to have her own issues that are like Mm -hmm. on her mind with Jane and everything. So like, there's so much more going on at this scene <laughs> than whatever we see. I'm always like, <laughs> you're missing all the complexity of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I do always find it an interesting barometer in every adaptation, how much emphasis we put on it. Mr. Weston <laughs> reads the room and is trying to lighten things up, but he doesn't do a very good job of it no. because he is like, what? I've got something to add. What are the two most perfect letters in the English language? And he says it's M and A for Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the irritable people get up to go on a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Miss Bates is on the verge of tears. Mm. And I wrote, they all need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just feel like 
maybe this is my own prejudices, but I feel like when they were trying to, when he was being like stupid at first, and was like, she wants to know what you're all thinking. I feel like Mrs. Elton just kind of soured the mood with being so snobby. And everyone, that's why everyone was just like, all right, like kind of already in a bad mood. Yeah. It's definitely summer. I mean, they don't look particularly hot, but I know that that is a concern in the book. They're all super hot. They're all irritable. It's like, yeah, you guys should have just set up some hammocks in the shade and all taking yes. a nice little nap on Box Hill. <laughs> it was a beautiful setting, though. Wherever oh, yeah, they it's shot gorgeous. that, it was like, oh, just a casual picnic. <laughs> yeah, no one's happy on this trip. As Emma's waiting to leave, Knightley comes up and gives her a major dressing down about Miss Bates. <laughs> Emma does not want to hear it, and she's apparently not allowed to be irritable because she has to set an example. And then she bursts into tears and tells the driver to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Very badly done, Emma. Yeah, I think actually Mr. Knightley is way over the top in the scene because I'm thinking there are other people around. It's it's acceptable for you to be yelling at Emma. (laughs) And also to be yelling about Mrs. Bates and being like, look how unfortunate she is. (laughs) Like super loud after she just got basically like you know cut down she's so beneath you emma how could you do that sure <laughs> mrs bates is like okay <laughs> i'm gonna go home yeah Ugh. i know i i just nitpicked this part so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh we're back at home she's back in her childhood comfort window and i love this little part too papa comes in and listens to her cry and lists her flaws and he sits with her to comfort her. It's very sweet. Very sweet. Shows the relationship. And it also shows, you know, Emma, she knows. She knows she didn't, she just wasn't behaving well. And Appropriately. <laughs> that's the good thing about Emma. She always, she realizes her flaws when she figures them out, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the next morning she goes early to see Miss Bates to try to make up for it. Jane is playing a sad dirge. Emma seems reluctant to go up. And Miss Bates seems equally reluctant to greet her. <laughs> and, but she says that Jane isn't well. She's been writing all morning. And Emma offers her a basket of provisions as a uh, peace offering, peace I guess. Offering. They both look ready to cry. I don't think Emma even says anything in that scene Hardly at all. Hardly <laughs> at all. She goes back home and Knightley is leaving. Here she's sad and we watch her get undressed. She meets with the Westons who are upset because Mrs. Churchill is dead. (laughs) But that's not really why they're upset. They're upset because they found out that Frank and Jane are secretly engaged and they thought that Emma and Frank were a thing and they're worried about Emma. And Emma is very shocked and she seems pretty pissed, but she's not angry for herself. She's not because she liked Frank, but because she was lied to let her guard down in front Mm. of him and was like not the nicest to jane and he was secretly in love with her the whole time so she's like now more embarrassment piled on top of embarrassment (laughs) for her Uh, and unfortunately she has to tell harriet the bad news but harriet says what i never liked him (laughs) (laughs) and emma immediately figures it out she doesn't need harriet to tell her that it was actually nightly she's like oh nightly the whole time and she says it was the dance that made her fall in love i mean the choir of angels (laughs) (laughs) made it pretty clear and what's more it actually seems like he might like her back and emma's like well could he have been wanting you talking you up about mr martin and that's when the penny drops for harriet 
and she realizes that Emma wants nightly for herself. But Emma tries to reassure her, despite her own distress, that, you know, he would never show more affection than he felt. Like, he would never lead you on if right. that's what you think is happening. And she says, uh, Harriet says, I refuse Mr. Martin because of you. And she storms off and slams the door. Hi, Emma. Yeah. And now Emma is just crying. She's walking and crying. <laughs> this is all the same day, I assume, because she's wearing the same dress. Knightley's back already. He sees her and just hops over the fence, goes straight to her. And there's like this lovely vocal music going on during this part. They talk about Frank and Jane and he's concerned for Emma, but she says she only regrets acting rudely towards Jane, basically. And Knightley says he envies Frank in one respect, but Emma won't ask why. (sighs) This is like such a crazy scene because it's like, oh, it could almost not happen. (laughs) Guys just keep walking away from each other because you're so scared. He's frustrated, walks away, but Emma won't let him leave. She says she'll hear him out. And he wants to know if he'll have any chance of succeeding with her. And he says if he loved her less, he could talk about it more. And Emma starts to cry. And he asks her to marry him. And she... Has a nosebleed. <laughs> He's just like, what? <laughs> now, this was definitely a scripted nosebleed, but because of the way they were trying to make the nosebleed happen, she ended up getting a real nosebleed, which is what they used in the show. That's sh- crazy. Did they say how they were doing that? I think there must have been some sort of a, a blood capsule or something in her nose. Uh-huh. Um, she said something about it starting to go down her throat, like it was going too far back. Uh, and so yeah. they were trying to fish it out. And, well... Cost a real nosebleed. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, so. <laughs> real nosebleed. <laughs> but I, I think it's just so unexpected and interesting, and it, like, gives Knightley this whole new, <laughs> like, element because of, you know, and Emma. Yeah, she, so she has this nosebleed, but she's, like, about to say yes, but then she goes, I can't, because Harriet's in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> And Knightley, like, hands her handkerchief, and he says that he'll convince Robert to propose to her again. It'll be fine. And Emma's like, no, I have to talk to him. <laughs> and she walks away, <laughs> like, very abruptly. <laughs> and Knightley just kind of gives himself a quick little celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Such a funny scene. That's yeah, a great scene. <laughs> so Emma goes to visit Robert Martin. She's brought him a goot. A goot. <laughs> uh-huh. I a am goot. <laughs> a goose. <laughs> and a portrait of Harriet. And she apologizes for causing suffering to him and her dearest friend. And he looks at the portrait as she leaves. And then Harriet comes over to see Emma. She says that she has accepted Robert Martin's proposal. But she's still avoiding Emma. Because Emma's like, oh, he's the most... He's fortunate the, I man. would consider him the most fortunate man I know. Yes. Uh, but Harriet kind of walks away from her because she has something else to tell her. She found out who her real father was. He was a tradesman from Bristol who makes galoshes. <laughs> I like the way she says galoshes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's coming to meet her. And Emma earnestly wants her to bring him to Hartfield and the girls hug and I cry again. <laughs> <laughs> and we see a little scene of Harriet running to meet Robert and they kiss by a wall and it's so cute and sweet. 
Very sweet. <laughs> and they run off hand in hand, giggling with each other. So then we're back at Hartfield. Everyone is sitting silently reading <laughs> to themselves. <laughs> Emma and Nylee are keep looking at each other, other over the top of their books. And Mr. Woodhouse keeps slyly looking at both of them out of the corner of his eye. And suddenly he feels a draft. And he seems disappointed that Knightley can't feel it. But then Mr. Knightley does feel it. <laughs> and they fetch a screen. And now the two lovebirds are virtually alone. <laughs> I love that because there's uh, there's a, an awareness that Knightley knows what he's doing. Yes. You know, <laughs> they have that little moment like, oh, yes. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so great. I love seeing Mr. Woodhouse being aware of what's going on, you know, and not being like, no. <laughs> I would say I love that he, in this version, is very, like, supportive. Yes. And he's like, I want this to happen. Yeah. Even if it does make him sad at the end. So they fetch the screen. They're, they're you know, separated from him. She says that she she can't leave her father. Like, look how good he is. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when Knightley offers to live with her, and Emma gives him a little kiss, which I guess is, I, I can almost see her brain working like, okay, I'm going to try kissing. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she just pecks. It's yeah. just like a smooch. And then she's thinking about it. Oh, is that what a kiss is? <laughs> and he's like, no, this yeah, is what a kiss is. This is a kiss. And, oh, steamy, steamy. We swoon, because that is a good kiss. And uh, <laughs> even the servant boys have to turn their backs on him. <laughs> and then it's the wedding. All the Goddard girls are there. Harriet and Robert are there. Miss Bates is there. And her cute, sad little father is walking her down the aisle. Mr. Elton has to perform the ceremony, but he actually seems like mm -hmm. he's happy for them. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Weston and her new baby, and John Knightley is crying. <laughs> and everyone is happy. And it's a perfect ending. Yes. Or happily ever after. <laughs> <sighs> so good. So basically, the two Woodhouse daughters married the two Knightley brothers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and nobody lives at the Knightley house. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what will happen when Mr. Woodhouse dies. Will they move back into the Abbey? I did think about that. I, I did like, think about that too. He doesn't have much longer to go really. So or they both live in separate on. houses. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll both go back to the Abbey because I could see also Emma being the type where she's like, I can't be here without my dad. Yeah, that might be true. That could be true. Oh, that's a real downer. <laughs> 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 <Think about. laughs> Favorite moments? Favorite. I already favorite. said mine. When they're practicing for the ball, it's just, I it's love that sweet. scene. Kind of similarly, I love just the whole ball scene of all the dancing because yeah. I was thinking about. Like how much fun they must have had as actors learning this big choreography, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, choreographed number, and then doing it in costume. Like that just seemed like so much fun to me. And yeah, there's so many pivotal moments yeah. of that ball, like between the Harriet mm -hmm. and the Emma and Knightley dancing together. Well, yeah, and the Emma Knightley dancing part, like that's just so like yeah. Ugh. Oh, it was steamy. It was yeah. like Pride and Prejudice Emma Darcy movie levels mm -hmm. of steamy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not as literal steamy. There wasn't like. Well, coming up, yeah. which I imagine would have been at the Pride of Prejudice. 
Um, I would say mine is sort of the picnic, but not really. Like maybe parts of the picnic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily like the tense parts because it's just so mean and yeah so sour but like the good parts where it's like but it this... feels so realistic i've been in so many situations where mm-hmm. everyone is irritable and people are just being grouchy and you kind of just have to be like okay we can all accept that this is just what's happening now. yes <laughs> we can all move on from it yeah <laughs> but i just love like the parts where it's like mrs bates is like poking fun at herself and everyone's just like oh like she's like starting to lighten the mood and yeah I just love, I like the whole, like, the picture of a scene. Like, it's just so beautiful and everyone looks so great. And yeah, yeah. I just love all those parts, but not the nasty parts. <laughs> but I do, there is something really satisfying about when she, Emma gets her dressing down from yes. Mr. Knightley. And you can just see the realization. It's and on like, her face. It's like her rock bottom moment, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Where she's just like, oh, I really, really effed up. Yeah. <sighs> Did you say your favorite? Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Um, deep deep dive? dive? All right. So the deep, we're doing the deep dive today on Miss Bates, our favorite. Yes. She's so great. Yes. Um, she is the daughter of a vicar. Is that how you say it? Vicar. 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 Her occupation on Wikipedia is listed as spinster, which oh. I liked a lot. That's, a, That's my occupation. <laughs> it's her job. Um, she lives with her mother, who is apparently deaf and blind almost, because yeah. she's always yelling at her and guiding her around. Yeah, I think I think in the book she actually ends up talking at the end. Oh, like oh really? Once Jane is happy. <laughs> Basically, she is the. Um, kind of like she used to be this like really well-regarded part of this well-regarded family and her father and brother both died so her mother and her were kind of left to their own devices and they rely on like the generosity of the families around them primarily the Woodhouses. yeah so she kind of is respected um even though they're not technically of the same status right financially at least they say that her main characteristic is the freeing flow of her mouth <laughs> <laughs> She loves to talk. Yes. Which does get her into some trouble <laughs> with Emma. Jane Austen described her as a great talker upon little matters. Um, <laughs> they describe her as neither young, handsome, rich, nor married, <laughs> neither beauty nor clever li- cleverness, and with no intellectual superiority. <laughs> However, to her credit, she is a happy woman. She likes everyone, and she has a contented temper. You know, sometimes that's enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Miss Bates. <laughs> um, and then, uh, similarly to that article for Mr. Woodhouse last week, there was one on uh, Mrs. Bates. And I love this little part where they say, um, in the cinematic versions of Emma, the talking aunt has been a source of humor and a source of information. Her function is largely ironic because although she knows and tells secrets, she talks so much and in such a distorted way that except for Mr. Knightley, nobody, including us, the audience pays much attention to what she says yeah that's true and then they say like this the one bbc version that we're probably going to watch one of these days makes the fullest use of her in that way but the sophie thompson miss bates is by far the most memorable rendering of the character <laughs> that was probably written before this one for sure probably yeah but i do love the sophie thompson one she was so yes. great as Miss bates <laughs> yeah i feel like to me looks wise and just the bumblingness of it was 
That's <laughs> one of my favorite parts of it. So she brings the character to life by blending the comic and the pathetic, and her mannerisms are comic in that she's always smiling. The myopic peering, the hesitations in her speech, and the nervous giggle. <laughs> Yet her delight at the thought of food, relatable. Her concern for her niece and for her mother and her pain at Emma's jest are rendered with feeling. In all the cinematic versions, Miss Bates comes across as a very real person with a life and feelings that are her own. Yes. She is the village Cassandra, but a pathetic and comic figure rather than a tragic one. So don't feel bad for her. (laughs) She's just being herself. Yeah. Remember when we did Emma the first time, we did our deep dive on Harriet and it said that she might be Miss Bates' daughter? Yes. (laughs) I do remember that. Because when the mom starts talking at the end, she refers to Miss Bates by her first name, which was like Henrietta or something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times girls were named after their mothers. So it could have been a derivation of Harriet. Anyway, I don't think they thought about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think they thought about Frank Churchill being a murderer either. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, for some reason, the guy playing Frank Churchill, I felt like you could be a murderer. There's something nefarious about him. <laughs> He's, if he hasn't yet, he'll play a murderer. Oh, I'm point. sure. <laughs> yes. But then in that same little, like, I'm going to call it an article, like a paper, I guess. Um, they also talk about how if you really listen to what she says throughout the book and the films, that she knows most of these things that are going to happen and talks about them before they ever happen. Yeah. Just no one ever picks up on it because no one wants to listen to her. Yeah. So it, even us, because it's so easy to just like skim her parts in the book. Mm-hmm. Cause there'll just be like pages of her talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy, who, the person who wrote the article was saying how they never realized the extent of her talking until they read the book and they were like, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought that was so cool, and it kind of gives, like, a new side to her and I, that I thought was great. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about the actress who played her in this version. Yeah. Because I thought she was so funny, and she reminded me of the kind of comedy that, like, Fever Baller Bridge kind of does, where it's not, like, goofy in your face, but it's just, like, she really develops the character and plays on those characters' personalities. Yeah. Um, so the actress who plays her, her name is Miranda Hart. She's a British actress. She's one of couple of awards um because she has her own show oh yeah for like uh it was for i think for six years at first from 2019 to 2015 and i think she just did another thing of it in 2020 was it called miranda hart show or something because when you said that it made me feel like i thought that's not familiar (laughs) yeah it's just called miranda it's an autobiographical sitcom and then, because she won a bunch of awards for it. You need to get out that BritBox subscription. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So she basically, she earned three Royal Television Society Awards, four British Comedy Awards, and four BAFTA nominations for it. Oh. So wow. it's apparently very good. But she's also <laughs> most known for being in Paul Feig's film Spy with Melissa McCarthy. She apparently plays like her Melissa McCarthy's sidekick. Oh. And I, I never watched the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, I never watched it, but I remember watching the previews and being like, and seeing her in this, I was like, I knew she looked familiar because I remembered her <laughs> from it, but um, I thought she was interesting. Before you put that away, yes. can you just mention the essay um, yes. title and person who wrote it? Yes, I'm always being rude. No, no, no. <laughs> So, I just always personally feel bad because I feel like I'm quoting these things. So I feel like I have to just uh, <laughs> mention them. 
Just to wrap it up, the place where I got that article was the Jane Austen Society of North America. It was titled The Cassandra of Highbury, Miss Bates on Film. <laughs> and it was written by Sue Perrell. Okay, perfect. So it's a really, really good detailed article. And I would suggest reading it because it was very interesting to read. Yeah. I remember listening to Autumn DeWild say something about how she's herself a very tall woman mm -hmm. and she really loved Miranda Hart being super tall because there's mm -hmm. like a certain amount of awkwardness being a tall woman in the world and feeling like people look at you like why are you taking up so much space mm -hmm. and that that was a quality that really worked well for Miss Bates. I was mm. about to say especially for back then where oh, women yeah. were supposed to be seen as gentle and small. Definitely. So for her sorting for astrology, yes. I looked up the most talkative signs. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a couple, I think. Well, there's Gemini, of course. Um, of course. They can't not talk. So speech is like breathing for Gemini. <laughs> and their quick minds let them switch gears as often as necessary to keep the conversation going. Gemini can relate to almost anyone and they have no problem leading the discussions or chiming it with something worthwhile, even if they don't know a lot about the subject, which I just feel like she's not maybe as easy to talk to, even though she talks a lot. Right. <laughs> what was the other one I uh, had? I think it was maybe Virgo. Are these the same ones I had for the last one? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Well, maybe a Leo. <laughs> 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 well, it's more performative for Leo. Mm -hmm. It's like everything is a performance for Leo. They don't have conversations so much as put on an improv act. <laughs> Leos love to tell stories, make grand proclamations, and please the crowds. You'll get your chance to speak too, but you're going to have to wait for your cue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, or there was also Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Honest, enthusiastic, and to the point, Sagittarius will happily natter on for hours about their favorite subjects, of which there are hundreds on any given day. <laughs> I um, like that one. Yeah. It says, they make a great teacher, though. You might have to make them stop and back up now and then. <laughs> and they tend to get ahead of themselves and their audience. The best way to shut Sagittarius up is to give them a new book or offer to teach them something that they've never heard of before. But that actually does sound like her, because, like, a letter mm -hmm. will... Make her read. Yeah. <laughs> stop she'll talking. share it with everyone. <laughs> yeah. I like Sagittarius. Sagittarius, I think so. Did, have we ever said that you're a Sagittarius? No, I think at one point when we started the podcast, we were going to reveal or have people guess or yeah, something like that. Yeah, writes it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, a Sagittarius too. Yes. So me as Piss Bates are one. Yeah. Between the three of us, we are the fire science incarnate because mm -hmm. Leo, Aries, Sagittarius. Yes. <laughs> so we had um, an idea. I don't know if we could do it this time, but of maybe trying to sort are Jane Austen characters into like David Lynch characters mm -hmm. and vice versa. So what, who would Miss Bates most be the equivalent of in any of the David Lynch stuff we've watched so far? You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me was the log lady because I think Lucy, <laughs> Lucy, I like, I like Lucy because or Nadine. Yeah. Like goofy like, and yeah. Takes control. Neither of them seem like yeah. happy talkers, though. No, I was thinking more of the log lady in the sense that Miss Bates seems to know everything that's going on. That's true. And is giving you the information. You're just not taking it in the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems what the log lady is kind of doing. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely similarities. You could parallel them, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe Lucy, just because Lucy 
she's also rambles on. she's smarter than she looks but she seems to not know what she's talking about a lot of yeah. times and just talk. i like the lucy one too <laughs> but i can't think of a good like who's a good who's a gossip do we have any real gossips mm. that we've come across so far um i'm trying to think not that she's really a gossip i don't know it's hard that's a yeah, hard that thing that's a hard one <laughs> but yeah let's say either lucy or the logberry Good choice. Let us know if you think of some other person she's most parallel mm-hmm. to. Okay. Final thoughts? I really enjoyed this movie. I think this is probably this is probably my favorite Austin adaptation. <laughs> I feel like you're just like me and that you your favorite is whatever your most recent is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the thing that kind of like, and I don't want to say sucks because the old ones aren't bad at all, but it's just like the the thing that kind of like is not great about comparing these with the newer ones is that there aren't a lot of new ones made in the 2000s that are, have these high budgets and high art Yeah, we haven't, besides directors. Pride and Prejudice, right. we haven't had a real movie, high, you know. And neither, I, it wasn't really that high of a budget. No, it just it looked, looked expensive. Really budget. I think, yeah, this is my favorite just because, not only just because of how it looked, but because of how the acting was. Like, it felt funnier. Like, it felt like she really understood that it was a comedy. And that even, like, the little, like, not just the, the words, but, like, even, like, the interactions, little, like, nuances and how they looked at each other. Yeah. That was funny to me. Yeah. I really liked that modern sensibility that mm-hmm. kind of came in, mm-hmm. and, but it still seemed perfectly period. Right. But I, I really enjoy that in a period piece because I feel like too often we tend to think of them as thinking differently than we did or acting differently when mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, the convention society might've been different, but they're still humans. They're still right. thinking and acting right. the same way. I'm sure there were plenty of eye rolls of teenagers <laughs> back in the day. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I guess to finish out my final thoughts. <laughs> Did you finish yours? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I love I loved it. I just <laughs> I love to see such a stylized piece. So unique and quirky and had so much style and it was so gorgeous and all the acting was great and I just really like to have this new perspective and it kind of shocked you a little like the nosebleed was just so mm-hmm. unexpected but seemed so appropriate at the same time right <laughs> well it added to the comedic if element Mr. Woodhouse had seen that he would have freaked out yeah. <laughs> get Perry what are your final thoughts Josh yeah no I just thought it was so much fun going back to something I think I said last episode that Sometimes Jane Austen can have the appearance of being really dull and boring because it's from an it's because it is a period piece and yeah. this seemed to like embrace all the best qualities of a period piece but imbue some sort of modern sensibility as you said to it that just made it so much fun I think more accessible like this would be a good movie to say if you want to get into Jane Austen yeah. watch this movie first because it definitely is a good entry point to Yeah understanding the humor and the you know the characters that that she writes yeah definitely emma is always a good starting point because it's definitely like funny and the characters are really relatable uh, especially nowadays where we're all much more aware of our own complexities Mm or i mean maybe they were at the time i just don't think they were writing that many super 
complex women like right, that that yeah. are like likable and likable unlikable at the same time but yeah it's always i mean every newer adaptation is always a great place to start because especially if you don't have a lot of mm, love in your heart or like experience with adaptation period adaptations and stuff like that then you know adding that touch of the modern really and the stylus the styling style, was great yeah it's just so beautiful Mm-hmm. Yeah. sugar-coated emma <laughs> yeah i also um i think this film is more of like a testament to let more women direct these austin adaptations because i think when you read the books you have these outlier female characters that in most of these films get kind of like let go of or like they're almost like kind of just in the background like isabella or even jane and in this film i was really glad to see that we got more isabella we yeah. got to kind of meet her and yeah, she had some a really of her sensibilities. Take. Usually Isabella's just like, oh, so nice. But it yeah. was nice to see a, a different side of her. Yeah, and it added to the comedy. And yeah. I also, I mean, we didn't get a ton more Jane in this one. But I felt like I got to know Jane Fairfax more. Because in the older one that we watched, she seemed very just quiet and in the oh, background. Yeah. She was barely in that one at all. Exactly. <laughs> so I really got, I and I love the combativeness with Emma and Jane. <laughs> so I think it's it's really a testament to let more female directors who care about female characters because even these minor characters that aren't really aren't super into it, they're given life and yeah. you you can I we could talk all day about Isabella and Jane Fairfax <laughs> if we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Always say more women direct. Yeah. I'm always shocked like how many Jane Austen adaptations are directed and written by men. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing wrong with men loving Jane Austen. I have no problem with that. I can totally understand it. In fact, that's what she's looking for. If you're a single man. <laughs> oh, <I'm just> no. <laughs> or Mr. Knightley. <laughs> I'm just trying to Emma you. <laughs> well, that always backfires. <laughs> um, what were we saying? <laughs> Um, more uh, about oh yeah men. more women directors yeah. always I, i'm sure i've said it like so many times on this podcast already but like yeah let's have more less andrew davies i we haven't got any andrew davies he's great he's done so many of people's favorites adaptations but he's done so many of them i'm like right let's get a different perspective yeah let's give someone else some actual money to do a big nice they're doing another pride and prejudice so I don't know when that's supposed to come out. It's probably delayed because of COVID. COVID, but yeah, definitely when that comes out, we're going to do it. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Me too. I know that. Yeah, because we had a great adaptation of it in the 90s. And then there was the movie. Mm-hmm. And all the other books got more recent, like, miniseries TV adaptations, except for Pride and Prejudice, I think, because it had such a like iconic one. And maybe because of the movie as well. So it's about time for a new mini-series. Pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> Recommendations. Ooh. Um, I, I'll go first again because I actually know mine this week. <laughs> I, I really hope I haven't recommended them before. I don't think I have. But my favorite <laughs> childhood and still to this day band... Artist band <laughs> that no one has ever heard of but me and my family. <laughs> He's called Dan Hicks, and he used to play with his band Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. 
<laughs> and he plays like the fiddle, I guess, the violin, but it's kind of like I don't even know how you describe it. I find it to be very unique. It's got a little bit of a like um Django Reinhardt, is that what I'm thinking of? Mm-hmm. Like um French uh I don't even know. It's like jaunty guitar playing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... And it's got great harmonies. The uh, hot licks are great. I personally, if you want to find an album with just like some of the best songs for me, my money is just to get like the best of from like, you know, the 60s or 70s when it came out. He died a few years ago and I, both my sister and my dad got to see him play twice and both times I couldn't I think I was in a show both times and I was like so disappointed (laughs) rude yeah but um such great music definitely recommend Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks (laughs) yeah this is cool sometimes it's labeled Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks (laughs) (laughs) what can you do (laughs) Uh, who's next I can go next my recommendation is going to be a TV show it's uh I May Destroy You (laughs) <laughs> it's on HBO, and it's written, and the lead in it is Michaela Cole, who is most known for chewing gum. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's really well done. It's a kind of like discussing, <laughs> um, it's kind of discussing uh, sexual assault and just kind of like, what would you, I don't know, like just being like a, a, a black woman and being in like the literary community. Because she's a writer on the show. And it just handles everything so well. Because I always, a lot of times whenever you watch something that deals with like sexual assault, it feels kind of like almost pervasive and like in your face. Yeah. Um, But she handles it so well. And it feels so realistic. And it just, I don't know, she does the character. She's a great actress. She's like insanely beautiful on the show. (laughs) Like it just is so well. And it's so funny. Oh, It's really funny too. So I would recommend that like, over and over. I think we've watched the first three episodes. At least, yeah. Yeah, cause, and then a fourth one I think just came out or comes out tonight or something. But um, it's just so good. I look forward to it every week. Awesome. What's it called again? I May Destroy You. I May Destroy You. Mm-hmm. I have to put that on my list. It's really good. <laughs> what have you got for oh, us? Yeah, um, I guess I would suggest some... Uh, there's a band called Heim that uh, three sisters out their new album called women in music part three and they are just such a fun band How do anyway you spell that? h-a-i-m oh, okay so they're the heim sisters I think that's... <laughs> anyway i could be wrong but um yeah they're just really fun it's kind of hard to describe their music sometimes it sounds a little like Joni mitchell and sometimes it sounds a little bit like you know fun paul simon but it's you know, I like very, both of those. <laughs> very current and uh, great harmonies. Uh, yeah, I just uh, it's it's a really great album to listen to. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's, and I've been a fan of them from since the beginning, and this is certainly their best album yet. I have to try it. I'm listening yeah. to more music these days. <laughs> yeah, it feels like almost like um, because they're all three sisters and they're so close. It almost feels like one of those like family bands from back uh, in the day. Yeah, it's always um, much easier to harmonize with your sister. Yeah. <laughs> They're great. They're great. Great musicians, too. They all play instruments, and yeah. They're all great singers. Sometimes, like, a little Fleetwood Mackie, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the harmonies. I'm liking all of these yeah. people you're comparing I, and to. And I'm using older <laughs> references, but they're, you know, I think that's... It's very modern in the way that it's presented, but, like, doesn't feel like modern music, almost. It's really good. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. Oh, God. Next week, <laughs> we are doing more David Lynch shorts. Yay. But I have it. 
a 100% decided what exactly we're doing. <laughs> I we think what we're going to do are the eraser head ones or like the ones that were from his early film days. If okay. you have Criterion collection, they're all like special features on there. Mm-hmm. I think they were all on maybe the eraser head DVD. Mm-hmm. But it's got like the grandmother, six men getting sick, the amputee. The grandmother is very eraser head like. And all of them are kind of weird. Some of them are just like film tests he did. Right. A lot of them are really short, but it'll be interesting to compare those, I think. Even though he has released a couple new things on YouTube, but maybe we'll wait until near the end of Sanditon to get to that. But Sanditon is the next Jane Austen thing we're doing. Super excited. It's going to be a big um, undertaking, eight weeks of that. I'm still, I don't know who we might have for guest for that one. We'll figure it out. Hopefully we can find someone good um, for at least a couple episodes. And yeah, yeah, we'll talk about what's coming after the David Lynch shorts for David Lynch in the next episode. Yes. (sighs) Um, If you want to get in contact with us. (laughs) Yes. Our Gmail is uh, mannersandmadness at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at Manners of Madness Pod. Twitter is at Manners of Madness. Uh, Manners of Madness. And our website is mannersofmadness.com, and you can leave us a voice message. Yes. And please, um, if you wouldn't mind, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Help us get the word out. I guess that's all for today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, and thank you so much to Josh. Well, this is my worst trait as I never thank people on this podcast properly. <laughs> thank you so much, Josh, oh, for yeah, joining always. us for the last two episodes. Um, sure, I'll be back at some point. Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you are our most regular guest. <laughs> um, but yes, so join us next week for David Lynch. And after that, we'll have another check-in. Before we start Sanditon. Super exciting. Yep. All right. Good night, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening.